Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. In this episode, we're talking about pilgrims and UFOs. That's correct, pilgrims and UFOs. Now, I want to look at a couple of sightings that happened clear back in 1639 and 1644. Just to give you an idea of what things were like back then, if we go to Wikipedia, it tells us that the Massachusetts Bay Colony that existed from 1628 to 1691 was more formally the colony of Massachusetts Bay and that it was an English settlement on the east side of North America around the Massachusetts Bay, one of several colonies later recognized as the province of Massachusetts Bay. The lands of the settlement were in southern New England, with initial settlements on two natural harbors and surrounding land about 15.4 miles apart, the areas around Salem and Boston. The north of the previously established Plymouth Colony, the territory nominally administrated by the Massachusetts Bay Colony covered much more of central New England, including portions of Massachusetts, Maine, New Hampshire, and Connecticut. The Massachusetts Bay Colony was founded by owners of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, including investors in the failed Dorchester Company, which had established a short-lived settlement on Cape Ann in 1623. Now, the colony began in 1628 and was the company's second attempt at colonization. It was successful with about 20,000 people migrating to New England in the 1630s. The population was strongly Puritan and was governed largely by a small group of leaders strongly influenced by Puritan teachings. It was the first slaveholding colony in New England and its governors were elected by an electorate limited to freemen who had been formally admitted to the local church. Now, as a consequence, the colonial leadership showed little tolerance for other religions or views, including Anglican, Quaker, and Baptist theologies. We're told the colonists had good relationships with local Americans. However, they did join their neighbors' colonies in the Pequot Wars from 1636 to 1638. That kind of gives you the background. 20,000 people would have been a lot, I suppose, just to move in this 10 years or so. So it's a kind of an up-and-coming place. But it's still primitive by today's standards. I mean, 1639, no running water, no electricity, none of the comforts of modern life. And the fact is that they just finished this war with the Native Americans. Not to mention, it seems like the kind of place that might not be really conducive to UFO reports. But that didn't matter. This fellow, he reported it, and it must have had enough of an impact on him that they felt like they were just, they had to do something. Now, we find out that the the report date on this was, the first one we're looking at was March 1639. This first article that we're looking at comes to us uh, from foxnews.com, and it's dated March 3rd, 2023. It says, meet the American who reported the first sensational UFO encounters, Puritan leader John Winthrop. Now, he didn't have the experience, but he did take the report. It says, journals of colonial leaders, a cornerstone of American scholarship, include remarkable accounts of UFO encounters, even abduction. That's, that's getting pretty in some pretty deep area there. It says, unidentified flying objects soared into American popular culture with the dawn of the jet age in the 1940s. The post-World War II flying saucer craze still rivets the imagination. It inspired movies, books, and a subculture of UFO enthusiasts and turned remote, dusty Roswell, New Mexico into a global destination of paranormal pilgrimage. UFOs, it turns out, have mystified Americans since the earliest days of colonial settlement. The first UFO known encounter in America 
was recorded in 1639 by Puritan leader and prolific journal keeper John Winthrop, leader of the Massachusetts Bay Colony and a foundation figure in the National Pantheon. Then it says, Winthrop's sensational account of a great light in the night was witnessed by a group of sober, discreet, and credible persons over Muddy River in Boston, a trickle of a creek that today wraps around American sports landmark Fenway Park. Winthrop's leadership of the fledgling Massachusetts colony shaped the destiny of the United States, established more than a century after his death. He has serious street cred in academia. Then it goes on and says, John Winthrop's journal has long served as a cornerstone of Massachusetts historical scholarship. The Massachusetts Historical Society writes in a recent look at the Puritan's UFO sightings. He diligently recorded the events of his life, along with the trials and tribulations of the people of the Massachusetts Bay Colony during the first 19 years of his existence. Buried among his prolific writings are words that suggest a mystifying object may have abducted three men in a boat. Winthrop reported two more UFO sightings over Boston Harbor in 1644. We'll get to those in a minute. It says, Winthrop's incredible tales of aerial phenomena in early America, long unknown, generated sudden interest in recent years after federal government and military officials admitted that it's been studying UFOs for decades. And it says here, stories of paranormal, unexplained, and perhaps extraterrestrial encounters long considered French conspiracy were effectively mainstream for academics and serious analysts. Now, that's a little paragraph there that's not really necessary, but they're pointing to the government as an authority figure uh, to show people that, well, it's okay to talk about UFOs and uh, we're not going to deperson you. Just, just another one of these little, I think, Jedi mind tricks they like to do. Few Americans were more serious than Winthrop. He was a devout Christian and an industrious nation builder. Despite the hardship of carving a new civilization from the wilderness and governing a new society, he dutifully kept almost daily records of life in the colony for nearly two decades. One 2005 biography is titled John Winthrop, America's Forgotten Founding Father. His energy seemed prodigious and inexhaustible, PBS Frontline said of Winthrop. Whatever he needed doing, he tried to do it. Repeatedly elected governor, he was chiefly responsible for maintaining civic and social order. John Winthrop was born January 12, 1587, or 1588, in Edwardson, Suffolk County, England, to Adam and Anne Brown Winthrop, it tells us. It goes on and says, Both his parents came from prosperous families, according to various accounts. He began journal keeping in 1605, while still a teacher, chronicling his growing devotion to Christ. His faith was increasingly at odds with national sentiment for King Charles I. An Anglican sympathetic to Roman Catholicism gained the throne in 1625. Winthrop departed for the New World in the spring of 1630 aboard the Arbella with an expedition of Puritans to establish the Massachusetts Bay Colony about 35 miles north of Plymouth Colony, settled by the Pilgrims in 1620. Winthrop issued a message on the ship that has echoed through the American history. And then he says, It's remembered today as a city upon a hill sermon inspired by several biblical passages and then delivered to a daring people fleeing decrepit Europe to create a new world in service of Christ. Now, it goes on here and talks a little bit more about uh, his experience. What I think we can get from this is that uh, this was a really religious society, a serious society, and there's no way these guys would have reported seeing this UFO unless they've seen it, especially the part about the missing time. I mean, the fact is, it would have been just too dangerous for them. It says, Winthrop's report of an eerie UFO encounter on a winter night in Boston 
is sandwiched between perfunctory passages about business dealings with natives. The subject turned suddenly, and this year one James Everall, a sober, discreet man, and two others saw a great light in the night at Muddy River, Winthrop wrote on March 1st, 1639. When it stood still, it flamed up, and it was about three yards square. When it ran, it was contracted into the figure of a swine. Now see, they're describing this thing in just ways that they can understand it. It says, When it stood still, it flamed up and was about three yards square. When it ran, it contracted into the figure of a swine. It ran swift as an arrow toward Charleston, and up about two or three hours. They were come down in their lighter, that's a small barge, about a mile, and when it was over, they found themselves carried quite back against the tide to the place they came from. Diverse other persons saw the same light after about the same place. So this was a mass sighting. At a hearing of the encounter the first for the first time, UFO researcher Nick Pope told Fox News Digital this week, that's stunning. Well, we know that without Nick telling us. And then it talks about Nick Pope a little bit. It goes on and says, I think it speaks to the fact that those skeptics don't like to admit, but most UFO witnesses like Everill and Winthrop are serious, sober individuals, Pope said. Several sources say Ignis Fadius, a spark of swamp gas, is the likely cause of the light. Yeah, it's always easy to second-guess this stuff when you're not there. And then it goes on here, it says... Winthrop reported two more UFO sightings in 1644, the first on January 18th. About midnight, three men coming in a boat to Boston saw two lights arise out of the water near the north point of Town Cove. and formed like a man, they went at a small distance to the town and so to the south point, and there vanished away. A week later, another supernatural encounter was seen by many, he wrote, a light like the moon arose above the northeast point in Boston and met the former at Noddles Island, and there they closed in one and then parted, and closed and parted and parted diverse times, and so went over the hill in the island and vanished. Sometimes they shot out flames and sometimes sparkles. Winthrop never mentioned the events again. His journal was not published until 1825. The mysterious passages were ignored amid the insight into colonial history called from his voluminous writings. The eerie unidentified objects remain a mystery today, yet come from one of the most trusted sources of his time. If you look at modern UFO accounts, they're often from police officers, pilots, military personnel, radar operators, Pope said. It doesn't surprise me that you have these very historical figures seeing these things. It's a vindication of what we see today from government officials and from military leaders, he said. Goes on and says, John Winthrop died of natural causes on March 26, 1649. He was 61 or 62 years old. Wow. Pretty cool. And, and so awesome that he wrote this stuff down from, you know, almost 400 years ago now. Now, I want to take a look at this other uh, article about this. It's a little more in depth. This is from Murphy's Burl. It says, borrowpulse.com, B O R O pulse.com, Pilgrims and Aliens, written by Cameron. Perished. I'm not seeing a date on it here. It says, when it comes to exploring the unexplained, UFOs are my favorite topic to investigate. So in honor of Thanksgiving, we will look at some surprising evidence of extraterrestrials that we find deep in America's past. No, I'm not referring to the hundreds of Native American counts we have of otherworldly visitors. Everybody knows that unless white folks write it down, it's just mythology. Believe it or not, pilgrims, the whitest people ever, 
were the earliest Europeans in North America to record a number of UFO sightings. The first known incident happened in 1639, just nine years after the establishment of Plymouth Colony. The report comes from the History of New England, 1630 to 1639, a book by John Winthrop, a Puritan and the first elected governor of Massachusetts Bay Colony. His writings are considered the central source for the history of the area. One night in March of 1639, James Everall, a sober and discreet man, and two companions boarded a small boat and set out for a trip on the Muddy River in Boston. They had been moving downstream for about a mile when the night's mysterious events began. The three men were suddenly confronted with the appearance of a huge, bright light hovering in the sky. The light flamed up as it hovered and appeared to be about three yards square. As they watched the light contracted into the figure of a swine and moved swift as an arrow in the direction of Charlton. For several hours, the light moved back and forth in the sky between Errol's location and Charlton. When the light finally disappeared, the men noticed that they had somehow been carried against the tide to the place where they had embarked. Wait a second. Either these pilgrims ate some magic mushrooms or this matches perfectly with, with what some modern UFO witnesses report with close encounters. Winthrop's book offers us even more strangeness to consider. Yeah, so imagine this. They're, they're taking this boat. They see this uh, UFO. They say several hours pass. They don't really know what happened. And they find them back where they started. They have no memory of rowing the boat back up to where they took off from. To me, that seems like a classic case of abduction. Now, whether these guys can remember what happened, we don't know because they don't tell us. I'm 1639, I'm thinking Salem witch trials and all the rest might not have been the safest thing for them to do. In 1644, a rash of bizarre sightings was again reported in Boston. The account says that mysterious lights appeared about two weeks after the destruction of a ship commanded by Captain John Chaddock a pirate whose ship was intentionally blown up in the harbor. On several occasions, Bostonians saw a light resembling the moon rise from the water near the site of the sunken ship that emerged with an identical light and then separated again, repeating this over and over while shooting out flames and sparks. The people of Boston attributed the light to the ghost of one of the dead sailors, a confessed necromancer, allegedly responsible for the ship's destruction, according to Winthrop. This anonymous person had done some strange things by his art in his way, in his ave from Virginia hither to make things even more strange, Winthrop reports. All the bodies blown up were found but his, which never was. Hence it is left to be inferred that the master teacher of the black art of necromancy took away the body as well as the soul of his pupil at the moment of the catastrophe. <laughs> well, now that is strange. It says a pirate whose ship was intentionally blown up in a harbor sub. Apparently one of the guys on board blew it up, they think. That's weird. Were the strange lights, the ship's destruction, an alleged sorcerer whose body was never recovered simply a coincidence? Even when examined separately, they are wildly fascinating events worth more investigation. Could the sorcerer have actually been an extraterrestrial or time traveler sent to change the course of history and then teleported after sinking the ship? Yeah, I'm not so sure about that, but I think it's important that we have this that we have this sighting recorded there. Uh, 
And who knows how the ship was actually blown up. I mean, the pilgrims at the time said, oh yeah, it was blown up intentionally, but I mean, do we actually really know that? Both these cases I found to be very interesting. Uh, the one from 1639 seems like it just kind of sticks to the facts a little bit more and reports what's happening. Apparently, you had these three guys on this barge, and they're making a round trip. It sounds like there's a tidal current coming in from uh, the bay, pushing against them on the way down. And they've uh, already made it down, and they're coming on their way back up. So they were against the tide on the way down, and they're with the tide on the way home, just coasting home. They see this UFO. They're watching this thing, and they say they watch it for hours. And clearly they've had missing time. And when they recover their senses, they're back from where they started, which means they would have had to paddle all the way back to where they started from because they paddle down, drift back. And on the way back home, drifting back up this river, I suppose, they are seeing this UFO. Either way, they they not only had to paddle back to where they were found at, but they had to paddle against the current. There's no way they would have done that and not remembered it. That's the whole point. So clearly something happened there in 1639 with these guys. They saw this UFO. They're watching it for hours. And then they wake up in a different place from where they first saw it. They were picked up and placed there, clearly. They didn't paddle the, They didn't paddle back. They would have remembered that. And 1644 is a little bit different. Uh, we have a couple of different you know, takes on this. One, they just kind of give you this uh, generic take of people seeing these lights, you know, doing these crazy acrobatics, almost like the orbs do sometimes there in Boston. And then in the other account, uh, they blame it on uh, one of these pirates apparently blowing up their own ship. The bad guy did it, kind of like today. They can explain what happened. So they associate it with this ship that blew out. Now, whether the ship blew up because uh, there was gunpowder on board and it was ignited by mistake or if somebody actually did it, who knows? I mean, these sorts of things, you know, you could expect these kinds of things to happen, I suppose, back in the 1600s. Uh, they didn't certainly have the fire suppression that we did, that we do today. Both the cases, I think, though, are what I like about them is they're just people telling what they saw and relating to us almost 400 years later that these UFOs were real then and they're real today. Until next time, this is UFO Warning, over and out.